Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to this month's Michigan Man Extra. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Today we have part one of an interview with one of the greatest running backs to ever play in the big house. He was a three-time All-Big Ten selection and three-time All-American. Every Michigan fan, regardless of age, has heard of Billy Taylor. I was a kid during his playing days, but remember well his mix of speed and power. He was a great back on some great teams. You younger listeners have, I'm sure, heard Bob Eufer's call of Billy Taylor's famous game-winning touchdown against Ohio State in the 1971 game. With under two minutes left and trailing the Buckeyes 7-3, Billy broke off a 21-yard touchdown run that will live in infamy. It was his last carry in Michigan Stadium. I thought NFL stardom was up next, as did most Michigan fans and college football observers, but that never happened. Instead, a series of events in the months following his last appearance for Michigan led Billy down a path of self-destruction. His walk on the dark side lasted more than 25 years. But Billy knew at some point he would have to get back up and take control of his life. He did. His story is one of great athletic achievement, substance abuse, depression, and finally, recovery and redemption. We are honored to be joined this week by the great Dr. Billy Taylor. This is part one of our chat. We will have part two for you on our Extra in June, here on The Michigan Man, on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Here with us on our Michigan Man Extra for the month of May, and we've had him on before. It's been a couple of years now. Michigan great, Dr. Billy Taylor. Dr. Taylor, it's an honor to have you on the show. Hey, thanks, Mike. It's always a pleasure. You know, I'm true blue. Uh, if someone say cut me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bleed maize and blue. So uh, I'm just happy to be remembered. You know, it's been so long since I played, but I'm, I'm honored and humbled about just having had the opportunity to play for the Maze Blue and run out of that tunnel in the winged helmet. Well, I thought it was important, Dr. Taylor. Of course, a lot of our listeners, the, the audience is sort of split between the very young Michigan fans and then some of we older Michigan fans who, of course, uh-huh. remember you very well. But I, I think it's important uh, from a historical perspective. A lot of our listeners are young listeners to go back and realize what great players and what great accomplishments we've had through the years at Michigan. And not only that, but a great story. So I wanted our listeners to hear your story. And we, we don't have time for all of it, but let's, let's start back in the early days just to, to bring a lot of our listeners up to speed, Dr. Taylor, who might not know your history. I mean, at Michigan, you uh-huh. were, of course, three times All-Big Ten, three-time All-American, one of the greatest running backs to ever play for our Wolverines. So if you could, Dr. Taylor, tell our listeners a, a bit about where life started for you and how the road led to Ann Arbor. Oh, wow. Going way, way back, uh, uh, I uh, I was born uh, by midwife. A lot of people don't know that. You know, <laughs> so were all my other brothers and sisters on my grandmother's couch in a small town called Hoxie, Arkansas. But uh, that's because my dad worked railroad 
and he was brought not around. Our home was in Memphis, Tennessee. And so uh, after a few months, as I'm told by my mom, uh, we, she went back home and to Memphis. And unfortunately, at age five, my dad passed. Mm-hmm. And we left Memphis and moved to Barberton, Ohio, where most people listening, even the young ones, they do a lot of research. They know that Bo Schimbeckler is also from Barberton, Ohio. So, you know, uh, it's just, uh, uh, you know, really our life is almost like a, a design of sorts by some greater higher power, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, how, how ironic is it that a born, living in Memphis, went to Arkansas to be born, then from there to Barberton, Ohio, of all places, you know, and, and, and Bo and a few other people and maybe they may want to add my name to the list. Uh, put Barberton, Ohio on the map, you know, but, uh, but we're both from Barberton and, um, I had the, the, the pleasure to meet Bo when I was about nine or 10 years old. And, um, uh, uh, we were at the, uh, a bank, I was with my mom and this guy walks in in Barberton, I think it was the first national bank or whatever, but everybody's making a big fuss out of this guy. And, um, I was like to mom, I said, who is that? And uh, and she wasn't sure, you know, but mm-hmm. in my mind as a nine-year-old little black kid, I said, you know, it looked like just another white guy, <laughs> you know, but as it turned out, that was Bo Schembechler, and he had, uh, you know, coached uh, and, and uh, under Woody, and, but everybody in Barberton knew him, and um, that was our first meeting. And, and, you know, relating to what I was saying about life kind of being a design, I had no idea that another 10 years later I would be at Michigan playing for Bo. And I don't think he had any idea at that time because I think he was still at Miami of Ohio or maybe as an undergrad uh, coaching assistant under, under Woody Hayes at Ohio State. But, you know, fast-forwarding, uh, I, I – eventually came to Michigan and uh, I'm dating myself because Bo came the following year. Uh, I came in 68 and came in 69. But, you know, who knows life's itinerary? How would anyone have guessed back in those days at that time that I would wind up at Michigan, Bo would wind up at Michigan, and me playing for him? You know, Absolutely. I think it's more than a coincidence, and, and that's my explanation of the design. Well, Dr. Taylor, you played when you got to the University of Michigan. You played on some great teams that I remember so well. You were surrounded by just a ton of talent during your Michigan career. Talk about some of your favorite memories and some of the other players uh, to remind Michigan fans how many great players were on those teams with you. Yeah, I mean, Bo inherited, you know, uh, a team that was ready to go, you know, uh, uh, perhaps uh, he brought a different type of leadership, but the talent was already at Michigan when Bo came and Bo uh, unselfishly, you know, acknowledged that, you know, cause we, we came to Michigan under Bo Schembechler. And when I say we, well, the guys already there were people like uh, Dan Deardorff, uh, Jim Mandich, uh, Don Moorhead, you know, uh, a host of other guys, but my class came in in 68 under Bump Elliott. We came to Michigan to play for Bump. Mm-hmm. 
we didn't like Bo, and I can share that a little bit later uh, because the way he recruited, you know, I went down to Miami, and this man was, you know, we just thought he was nuts. And myself, uh, but getting back to the group that came in in 68 under uh, under Bump Elliott with myself, uh, Reggie McKenzie, uh, Tom Darden, uh, Mike Oldham, Butch Carpenter, Glenn Dowdy, uh, just to name a few, and there were other guys too. You know, the, uh, uh, Bruce Elliott was there. Uh, uh, Paul Seymour uh, came in. Uh, these guys, we were all freshmen, you know, so uh, we never had a, any idea that we were going to be playing for uh, for a guy named Bo Schimbeckler, you know. Uh, like I say, this this is all just part of the design, and uh, the reason I didn't want to play for Bo, because uh, I didn't like him. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> most of us, most of the people that he recruited, did not like Bo Schimbeckler. Just you know, he was rough. He was he was tough. He was boisterous. He was pushy. Uh, he was all of that, you know. But and as a young kid, you know, you 18 years old. Uh, well, go back when I came to Michigan. He was a head coach in Miami of Ohio and recruited me and myself and Tom Darden out of Sandusky, Ohio. We eventually became roommates when we got to Michigan, but we were in Miami on a recruiting trip uh, at the same time. And uh, we had met on a previous trip somewhere. Uh, I had 50 some offers and Tom had a whole lot of them. And, you know, there's the recruiting circuit, but anyway, we were, uh, we landed uh, uh, at Miami University, and uh, Bo, uh, Gary Moeller, a couple of the, the other coaches uh, mm-hmm. that uh, were on the staff, they all met us, uh, Coach Stobart, Coach Hanlon, they met us at the airport, brought us in, and it was a typical recruiting trip, meeting talk with the coaches, dinner, and we went out that night and hung with some of the, the uh, at Miami of Ohio, some of the players, and we went to a party. I wasn't used to being up till 11, 12 o'clock. I was still in high school, you know, so we got back late and uh, got to bed, and we were staying in the dorm, and about 6 a.m., uh, Bo Schimbeck, there was a knock on the door, boom, 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 <laughs> and I opened the door, and this Bo Schimbeck was standing there asking, are you guys ready to work out? And I I looked over at Tom Darden, he shrugged his shoulders, and we didn't know what was what was happening was he for real you know and he was he said downstairs in 15 minutes and i was in shock so we went down tennis shoes shorts t-shirts and this man had all of the recruits uh working out with his uh player we were lifting weights they were charting it uh we were doing sit-ups push-ups we had to run sprints for time you know and it was uh it was just crazy, and and, and at the uh, during this workout, uh, I would pass Tom Darden. He would look at me, and I was like, "This man is crazy. There's no way in the world I'm coming and play football for him." And he would squeeze your arms. You're soft, you know. How did you run all those touchdowns in high school? It was a, it was the worst recruiting weekend I'd ever been on. So, uh, fast forwarding, uh, Tom and I went on about our business and. Uh, Coach Schembechler would call the house, and mm-hmm. we had trouble pronouncing his name, but my mom would say, Coach Shimmy, 
Yecker or somebody is on the phone. I said, Mama, tell him I'm not home. I don't want to talk to this man. So uh, Coach Hamlin called. I tell him the same thing. If they're from Miami, they're on the coaching staff, I do not want to talk to them, especially that Schimbeckler coach, you know. But <laughs> how do you know? You know, yeah. um, eventually, fast-forwarding, we, we come to Michigan. We place uh, freshman football. For those younger people listening, you know, Michigan actually had a freshman football team mm-hmm. in 68. I'm dating myself. You know, I always say I'm 39 and holding, but I got a jacket that old, Mike. <laughs> but uh, but we, uh, we, we uh, had our freshman season, and we were looking forward to playing in 69 with uh, uh, Michigan under Coach Bump Elliott, but went home to uh, Christmas break. Um, in December of 68, and uh, the Akron Beacon Journal on the front page, I always got up in the morning to look at the sports and read the funny papers. Uh, younger crowd, they don't know anything about that, right, Mike? No, they do not. But on the front page was Bo Schimbeck, the name head coach, University of Michigan. Almost died, man. I couldn't believe it. I had to, I had to sit down, and uh, <laughs> I called Tom Darden and. He said, BT, it's true, man. I said, no, this has got to be a joke. He said, no, it's true. Both Schimbeck was going to be our head coach. We hated it. We were we were talking about transferring to another school and everything. Well, you know, it's funny, Dr. Taylor. Is, uh, one of the players from your era, and I can't remember who it was, uh, mentioned to Mitch Album in, in his book on Bo that recruits young athletes sort of had a a three-stage relationship with Bo it was when you came in you hated him in the beginning and then you grudgingly understood what he was all about and in that third stage you loved him yeah yeah that that's exactly true turns out to be the greatest thing that ever happened and and that's what I you know I get back about life and this design there's some design to it I read an anecdote once that this life uh, must be an experience, uh, an experiment, because if it was a real life, it would come with some instructions, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it. I never would have made that decision. If wherever Bo Schembechler was coaching, I definitely was not going to go there. And he, at that time, he was down in Miami of Ohio. We thought he was crazy. We thought he was a nut. And really, we weren't too far off, you know. But, <laughs> but we just didn't understand, you know, his thinking and right. his, his methods and, and, and how he, you know, went about preparing a team uh, to be successful. But once again, it was, you know, it was happenstance in a sense that I didn't plan uh, to – Come to. I did plan to come to Michigan. I love Bump Elliott, but I did not plan to play for Bo Schembechler. That was something totally out of my control. Well, as we all know by now, it had a happy ending as far as your Michigan career. It's just great teams. One moment I just wanted to ask you about, Dr. Taylor. We've talked about this before, but as a, as a young man, a kid listening in the Ohio State game in 1971, as, as we've talked about listening to you for on the radio and then having the television on. It's just a, a moment that I'll never forget as a young Michigan fan. It's part of the opening for this show during football season uh, that leads into our first segment, that incredible late-game run with just under two minutes left 
uh, trailing Ohio State 7-3. to uh, It was the, the run that we all remember that had Mr. Eufer seeing amazing blue spots in front of his eyes up in the booth. <laughs> and I'm sure you remember that like it happened yesterday, Dr. Taylor. Oh, well, absolutely. The touchdown Billy Taylor, touchdown Billy yep. Taylor. Yeah, even today. It still pumps me up when I hear that. It was my greatest individual moment in sports. Uh, I think the you know the greatest team victory uh, in college. I played some in the NFL, uh, but with injuries, not a lot. But I, I talked to a lot of our former teammates, and you know their greatest times were at the University of Michigan. Many went on to play in the NFL and win millions of dollars. But you ask them about the greatest game. And that would be Michigan, Ohio State, 1969. That was the greatest game that I played in, what you were referring to in 71, the winning touchdown to beat Ohio State and Bob Buford's touchdown, Billy Taylor. That was my greatest personal individual moment in sports because, you know, largest crowd ever. Uh, I'm a senior, and that gave us 11-0, and a perfect season, a trip to the Rose Bowl. Uh, you know, a Big Ten championship first, a trip to the Rose Bowl. And uh, we rose to two or three in the national polls. Uh, and it was my last time that I carried the ball in Michigan Stadium. We went on to lose another Rose Bowl. That's a thorn in the side. Mm-hmm. But that season finished uh, with undefeated for over 40 years since Michigan had been undefeated. And it was the largest crowd ever assembled all of that you know and so individually that was my greatest moment but uh playing with my teammates in that 1969 game and i'm just a sophomore and uh uh, jim mandage you know god bless him he's no longer with us you know dan deardorff is of course is still with us and uh some of those seniors on that team and then all of the 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 freshmen that were now sophomores that were playing and uh, what made it so big that initially was the largest crowd ever assembled in 69 and 69 Michigan Ohio State game but um, Ohio State was number one in the country as you may recall Mm -hmm. for two two or three consecutive years and they had been undefeated for these two years and they were uh, they were so 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 proud and cocky I remember an interview that we saw, of course, after the game, Woody was, uh, someone was asking him, you know, basically, what if they lose? He said, well, you know, we're not, you know, we, we're going to play the game and we'll accept the accolades afterwards or something like that, he was saying. Uh, and, you know, they were, I think it was Sports Illustrated, said it was the greatest college team ever assembled and all of that. And, and, and disheartening to us, one of the local papers, I don't know if it was the pre-press or the news uh, or, the, or Ann Arbor News, I'm not sure, but somewhere in print, it had Michigan has two chances of winning Saturday against the Buckeyes, uh, slim and none. <laughs> and uh, another paper said we should just save ourselves to embarrassment, Mike, and um, forfeit the game. Don't even show up. You know, well, Boshin Beckler, uh, the coaching, the Michigan coaching staff, we players, we thought that was a bunch of uh, garbage. <laughs> you know, uh, got to be careful my choice of words here. But I, I do recall uh, before that game started, uh, 
bowl. Uh, we went out for pregame, mm-hmm. and then we came back in the locker room before we were to take the field to go out and, and meet these Buckeyes. You know, uh, Bo flipped his hat backwards, and um, he said, man, he held a newspaper up, and he read what I just shared with you. You know, mm-hmm. they say we got you know, two chances of winning, slim and none, and he said, you know, bull, <laughs> and you can figure out the rest <laughs> of it. And he said, we've had a great week of practice. We've had a great season, and uh, let's go out there and kick there, you know, mm-hmm. it stops up. <laughs> and he hit the chalkboard. We had chalkboards in those days, and it flipped over. And I'm telling you, to get out of the locker room on that that day, uh, before we played Ohio State in 69, you had to be uh, a man pumped up. 10 times, you know, because uh, we were punching and pushing and, you know, the door is only so wide and here you got all these players and shoulder pads, but we couldn't wait running through the tunnel, didn't feel our feet hitting the ground, you know, and the crowd was stomping and yelling and you couldn't hear anything, you know, it was almost like slow motion. I mean, the adrenaline level was so high. But uh, we went out and we played that unbeatable team, as the media had said. And um, 24-12 at halftime, when the final whistle blew, it was 24-12 Michigan. Incredible memories for all of us that were actually uh, there or listening or watching the game. Great games that you just referenced and such a great career. And I think all of us Michigan fans, young and old, that watched you play, Dr. Taylor, were certain that after those incredible Michigan days, you were going to move on to be an NFL star. But days after the Rose Bowl, which was that 13-12 to 12 loss to Stanford, your life was mm-hmm. changed forever on January 4th of 1972 talk about that day and and really a series of events in that year that started a downward spiral in your life yeah i'm trying to tell you uh i i'll I'll go back a little before that when i was in middle school i had uh, three primary goals coaches always had to set goals you know Mm -hmm. one was to uh uh you know play college football and going to the NFL afterwards. Uh, I wanted to get a doctorate degree one day, like Dr. Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and thirdly, after a successful NFL career, uh, a college career, I want to play in the NFL and be financially able to build my mom a home and take care of her because she has struggled so much. I'm the youngest of seven, mm-hmm. and we didn't have much at all growing up, but we had a lot of love, you know. So mm-hmm. those were my three goals, you know, a college degree, NFL, and business, and take care of my mom. So uh, January 4th, January 1st, second Rose Bowl, 72. On January 4th, uh, my mom suddenly dies of a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And this knocked me down. I have a drug treatment facility. I'm sure we'll talk about it later. It's called Get Back Up. The title of my autobiography is Get Back Up, the Billy Taylor story. But I was knocked down and um, in life, you know. And, and I found uh, in those years after Michigan that life will knock you down. It knocks us all down at one time or another, you know, yes, physically, yes. 
emotionally, psychologically, financially, you name it. Uh, we get knocked down, but I learned years later, it's imperative that you get back up. But January 4th, I'm a young man of 20, 21 years old. I lose my everything. My mom, my dad passed when I was five years old. Uh, and my mom was, she held the family together. She took care of us. She did without many, many things just to provide for the children. And I, I never forgot that. That's why I wanted to take care of her, uh, you know, after uh, I graduated from college. But so that dream, that goal was taken away on January 4th of 72. And for the first time, uh, you know, I was brought up, you know, apple juice, milk, you know, bacon, mm-hmm. eggs and uh, fruits and, and working out and playing sports and going to school. But everything changed on January 4th when my mom passed. I no longer cared about my goals. I no, no longer cared about the NFL. I, I no longer cared about pretty much anything. And I started to drink for the first time just to ease the pain. And I was suffering from depression. And those listening, if you're going through something emotional, uh, psychological, especially depression, add, talk to somebody, not just anybody, you know, but you got to check the source. But I started drinking and getting high just to ease the pain because I was hurting mm-hmm. inside so much, you know, and this is something that I had never done. And uh, almost flunked out of school, you know. Um, I'd lost my mom. That was my everything. I'm drafted fifth round, fifth pick um, by Atlanta. Uh, I no longer cared about sports or virtually anything. But I tried to come out of it, Mike. And uh, after a few months, um, say in March or April or whatever, um, and I said, I got to get myself together. My mom wouldn't want me living like this. And then uh, in June, my uncle shot and killed my aunt and killed himself. And uh, my dad, as I mentioned, passed when I was five. I didn't have a dad. I didn't have a mom. My uncle was like a father figure. He and my aunt, they're gone five months, four or five months after my mom. So I'm this downward spiral has begun, drinking and drugging uh, just to deal with the pain. And once again, I tried to get back up, if I may and continue with life in a positive way. And uh, I went away to camp and uh, uh, with Atlanta and the first preseason uh, game uh, in San Diego, we were out in California, I bang up my knee. I'm depressed again. Uh, I'm sent home and uh, I was dating a young lady and I felt like everybody that I cared about was gone. Uh, I had lost the closest people in my life. So I was thinking, you know, maybe mm-hmm. I should just get married and settle down, forget about sports. And uh, the young lady, uh, she was brutally stabbed to death in that September. So I had those three tragedies that started a downward spiral uh, all in nine months, January mom, uncle and aunt, in June, September, the girl that I was dating. So, uh, and I'm 21 years old. I couldn't handle it. So I turned to substances and I bounced around the NFL two or three years and 
with injuries and then just mentally not being in a good place, uh, I just gave up on that dream. And I think the only reason I went to training camp was to earn some money, but I had nothing else going on, you know. But those things just boom, 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 uh, couldn't handle it. So I'll say to the listening audiences, you know, uh, if you get in a, you know, in a, in a, mm-hmm. you, you're feeling down, you're feeling depressed, uh, you're going through a lot of psychological, emotional pain, get some help. Talk to somebody. I know it's not easy to do, but, and there were people in my life that I could have talked to. Uh, I could have talked to Bo. I could have talked to some of the other coaches or a minister that I knew growing up, but uh, I turned away from everybody that I knew. And uh, it almost killed me, you know, through the grace of God, I'm doing very well today, (laughs) you know, uh, getting younger, I don't say getting older, you know, but, but, uh, you know, I'm in, I'm in good health and, uh, uh, I wake up in my right mind, Mike, at least for the most part, I might be a little crazy, you know, but, uh, you know, and I, and I realize that God is good, you know, but I was able to, to come through that, uh, not on my own doing, but just by the grace of God, you know, and I let people know. I'm a teacher, not a preacher, you know, but I have strong faith and trust in God. But those are the things uh, at such a young age that just knocked me down. And eventually I did get back up, you know. Uh, I've learned to do that uh, more rapidly, <laughs> you know, over the years. But as a very young person, it was, uh, it was, it was some challenges that I just was not ready to deal with, you know. And, I'm just grateful that I was able to come out on the other end. Dr. Taylor and I recorded for well over an hour, so I decided to make his interview a two-part release. We will bring you part two with Dr. Taylor on our June Extra. I'll give you a heads up on Facebook and Twitter when it publishes. On Quick Hits today, the number 17-ranked University of Michigan softball team, 43-11 on the year, will head to Lexington, Kentucky to kick off NCAA tournament play this weekend, Friday through Sunday at the University of Kentucky's John Crop Stadium. The Wolverines will open play against Notre Dame at noon on Friday. You can see that live on ESPN2. Michigan is making its 26th NCAA tournament appearance and has earned a spot in the NCAA tournament every season since 1995. It is just the sixth time in program history that U of M will play a regional round on the road. The Wolverines are 81-15 all-time in the NCAA regional round and have won 18 regional titles. The winner of the Lexington Regional will move on to a Super Regional against the winner of the Regional being hosted by Oregon in Eugene. That Regional consists of number one overall seed Oregon, BYU, Drake, and Albany. The Wolverines will look to bounce back after suffering an early exit from the Big Ten Tournament, where they fell to in-state rival Michigan State 7-0 in the quarterfinal round. Michigan owns a 4-4 record after losses this season and has not lost more than two games in a row. Megan Bobian, freshman sensation, all Big Ten Pitcher of the Year, will be in the circle against Notre Dame on Friday. Baseball will wrap up the regular season this weekend with a Big Ten Conference Series at Purdue in West Lafayette. The weekend series will begin at 6 p.m. today and will continue on Friday. The finale of the 2018 regular season is set for this Saturday at 1 p.m. Fans can watch both the Friday and Saturday contests live on the Big Ten Network. 
The Wolverines, 32-16 and 16 overall, 15-5 and five in the Big Ten, currently sit in second place in the conference, while the Boilermakers are in third place. Michigan is just one game out of first place behind Minnesota, while Purdue is two games ahead of Ohio State and Illinois. Following the weekend series at Purdue, the Wolverines will head to Omaha, Nebraska for the Big Ten Conference Tournament. Michigan has advanced to the Big Ten Tournament each of the six seasons of head coach Eric Bakich's tenure with the program. Remember, our free show app is available from the iTunes and Google Play stores. You can also hear us on TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Wolverine Sports Radio. If you get the show from iTunes, please take a minute to rate or review the program. Thank you in advance. Once again, thank you to the great Dr. Billy Taylor for sharing his story with us. For more information on his important mission and work with Get Back Up, just visit his site at www.getbackup.com. You can also listen to Dr. Taylor's Saturday mornings on WADL Detroit at 910 on your AM radio dial. He starts at 6 a.m. Or you can stream the show from www.wadl.com. Part two of our interview can be heard on our Michigan Man Extra in June. Next week, though, it's time for another recruiting update with Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports on our regular day, so make sure you join us for that. That will do it for another edition of The Michigan Man. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Have a great Wolverine week, everyone. Until we meet again, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!